Hi, everybody. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining. I'm Bobby, one of the co-hosts. And I'm Emily. Nice to meet you all. Thanks for coming in. We're going to wait a couple minutes here. As you guys join, just drop a note in the chat. I want to hear what year you are in med school, hometown. Um, and then write if you're A group or B group in terms of your first year cohort. Uh, we want to see where people are from. Awesome. So, yeah, and then scalpels, uh, those of you who are joining for scalpels points, Emily just posted the uh, link in the chat. So, yeah, guys, this is fun, like informal session. Please, um, you know, throw your cameras on. We'd love to see you. Uh, you know, feel free to eat lunch, you know, if you're doing Anki cards or whatever. Just uh, have that on the background. And yeah, this is Double Scrubbing. Um, I'm Bobby, and then Emily are, is our other host. We got Dr. Grenda on today. We'll just wait a couple minutes here, guys. I can start in the chat. Um, I'm from South Bend. I don't know if you knew that, Dr. Grenda. Just about ready to say, you're from South Bend. Yeah. Um, wow. And Denton, Texas. And I think I was a group, I think. I was in the 8 a.m. I remember being like, oh, I have, I'm the one who has to come in at 8 a.m. for everything. Yeah, I was one of the um, lucky B groupers, I guess. Oh. <laughs> and then it's funny, because I remember we thought like 8 a.m. was so early back then and obviously that's not the case um so i think we have a pretty good um group now why don't we go ahead and get started here so can you guys see my screen okay yeah welcome to double scrubbing with emily and bobby this is episode one we're lucky to have dr tyler grenda on uh talking about thoracic surgery um so just a little bit about us <laughs> That's me. I'm Emily Pappy. Um, you know, still a baby doctor, but I'm interviewing for general surgery residency right now. Um, as I said, I'm from South Bend, Indiana, and I live here um, in South Philly on Broad and Wharton. Um, and I have have my high school sweetheart and my dog Mo um, to hang out with during all of these new shutdowns. <laughs> And Emily is our um, Gibbon Education Chair. That's right, yeah. And then uh, my name's Bobby, fourth year med student at Jeff, uh, originally from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Um, had a prior career in uh, healthcare finance, working with value-based care, um, and now going applying to general surgery as well. Uh, I'm the uh, Gibbon Society Clinical Skills Director, and traditionally we would have um, Plan clinical events for you guys. So now we're doing something fun and creative. And then here's a picture of me. I guess back then we didn't have color photos. So <laughs> going back a ways. But so what is double scrubbing all about? Uh, we essentially want to do three things with the show. One, we want to build community. Um, two, we want to provide some early exposure to surgical topics. And three, we want to connect a purpose. So this is a picture of me and uh, my friend uh, roommate Max and six feet apart signifying you know kind of the difficult connections in the COVID times uh, this is a picture of my friend um, Dr. Emily Ish PGY1 general surgery resident we met her on day one of her intern year and then here she is operating side by side with a world-renowned pancreas surgeon Dr. Yo chairman of our department and then this is uh, a picture of a trip I did um, after my first year uh, to, with floating doctors down in Panama uh, where we um, provided sustainable uh, clinics, healthcare to a rural um, island, uh, different rural island communities. And we actually had to, you know, go by boat and, um, and car and hike. And this was from a, a one a particular clinic. We would hike four or five hours with our clinical gear uh, on horseback. And I think that's a metaphor for just medical training in that it's, it's a long road. It's a, it's a hike, but enjoy the journey. And right, you know, it's right around the corner. You guys will be third year med students taking care of patients. So after this hour, I want you guys to one, um, connect with someone new, to learn something about the field of surgery, and three, feel a little bit more motivated as you go back to studying. 
Um, so you guys all did something awesome. When you started at Jefferson, you committed to quote, improve lives as the Jefferson motto goes, and you will do just that. Before you know it, you'll be a third year med student um, and you'll be taking care of patients. Uh, granted, you won't be in charge, but you will have a huge impact on that patient's experience. Um, your journey to patient care has already started. You've been learning about anatomy, pharmacology, pathology, and I can tell you that the learning doesn't stop, but the learning changes. So once you get to your third year, uh, you'll be here before you know it. You enter a new world, the world of clinical medicine. You'll rotate on internal med, family med, psychiatry, OBGYN, pediatrics, emergency medicine, and then my favorite, general surgery. And so while you don't have to worry about these rotations just yet, Emily and I thought it'd be really think that early exposure is, is really valuable uh, for your development as a physician, uh, but also to inform your career path. And so previously, uh, the Gibbon Society would offer programs like surgery at night and shadowing. However, with COVID-19, these programs have been canceled. And that's where double scrubbing comes in. The term double scrubbing refers to when two attending surgeons scrub a case, often meaning that the med student has to sit out or watch unscrubs. Um, and then that's essentially what's happening here. Um, but there is still value in that experience. So the winds are small at first as a med student, your first time donning sterile gown and gloves, your first time navigating the sterile field. And while we can't offer you those you know, specific experiences, we are going to share some um, engaging surgery content, get to know some surgery faculty the way you would have if you did have that shadowing experience and uh, provide some sort of virtual OR experience. So, and with that, I welcome you guys to uh, Double Scrubbing. All right, so getting started on today's episode. Once again, thank you guys so much for coming out today. Um, we're gonna open up with a fun segment about um, surgery Twitter, um, something that you guys will definitely be interested in. Our special guest today is Dr. Tyler Grenda. Uh, he'll be sharing his experiences with us walking us through some, um, the next part of the episode is the um, surgery that he'll be walking us through. Um, and overall, at the end, we'll actually be starting some trivia um, where we will um, award a $15 gift card to whoever gets the right answer first to Amazon. Thanks to our Gibbon Surgical Society treasurer, Emrita, uh, for setting that up with us. And then, as I said, finally, we will oh, go over the um, a video of a robotic segmentectomy with Dr. Grenda to help you guys cover some of the anatomy you're learning currently. I just want to give a quick shout out to everybody who's helping us with the uh, today's episode. So Sherry Weitz is managing all the logistics on Zoom, Frankie Abraham, Katie Martinez, Lindsay Reese, Rob Puglias with the Design Lab. They're designing on the front lab, uh, front lines podcast really kind of inspired this show. Scalpel's leadership team, they did a great job with Dr. Lindenbaum lectures last night, and they uh, decided to offer this as points towards the Scalpel curriculum. And then just the entire uh, Gibbon Surgical Society, specifically George, Amrita, Francesca, Jenna, and Josh, who helped uh, get the word out about this event. And then, of course, Dr. Tyler Renda. All right. So... We're going to get started with the Twitter. So Twitter, um, you know, thought of as kind of like an antiquated social media app in the time of TikTok and everything else going on. But I actually re-downloaded it um, in the times of uh, when the pandemic started to, yeah, with a other project that I was working on. And I really kind of discovered um, medical Twitter and search Twitter and all the, you know, uh, fun content on there and, um, I just, I like this one. It was top trauma movie myths. You know, so you find a bullet and save somebody's life. You hit someone on the head and they're out cold. And then the donut sea collar that looks like, you know, one of those airplane pillows. Uh, like that's going to protect your spine. And then the one I loved was that um, all ORs are dark. Um, <laughs> the surgeons don't need to uh, see to operate. And so there's a lot of funny, good content, but there's also a lot of inspirational um, content as well. Yeah, I mean, I think social media is definitely keeping us all connected. Um, I think that, you know, not only is there some fun stuff and memes, but the, you know, seeing pictures like this, you see here where there is an all-female African-American surgery team, um, which is honestly rare, and this matters. And I think people getting to see this is so important. Um, 
I can attest that even just being in the OR with three women is exciting and um, noticeable for sure. And so we do have that here at Jefferson, but not everyone else is so lucky. But I think now moving forward, we're gonna introduce our guest, Dr. Tyler Grenda. Um, he's currently our uh, assistant professor of thoracic surgery, working on our thoracic surgery department, um, and as well as the assistant clerkship director. As you can see here, the picture's coming up. He was a uh, undergraduate at University of Notre Dame in my hometown in South Bend, Indiana. And then he came here for, for medical school, so he's actually an alumni, um, and did his residency and fellowship training at University of Michigan, which is, I would note, a betrayal to Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> but I did want to note that also, you know, he was in our shoes, and I think what we're really hoping to convey is that not too far from now, you're going to be in his seat, likely. Um, and going through his extensive CV, I noted a few things that he did while he was here at Jefferson, um, including some of the roles that Bobby and I play, whether that's a surgery clerkship liaison and co-chair in my end, and uh, clinical skills director and Bobby's end. But I would like to say it's nice to meet you. Well, not meet you, but bring you on to the show. <laughs> thanks for being here. No, thanks for having me. This is great. Thanks for, thanks for the nice intro. Jeez, <laughs> really nice. So I think what I'd love to have you get started with is just talking about, you know, surgery overall. Um, before I get started with all of the questions, I just want to let everybody know in the audience, if you have any questions, please type them into the chat and Bobby or I will pick them up and uh, work them into the conversation as we can. So, Dr. Grenda, what is your favorite part about being a surgeon? That's a big question to answer. No, I, I think for me, you know, I like the environment. I like, you know, there's so many things. I think the biggest thing is kind of the, the breadth of care that we provide. There's, you know, part of surgery is understanding, you know, when you need to provide an operation and when you don't, there's lots of medical management that we, that we do as, you know, as well. And I think, you know, there was a lot of things when I was in medical school that I, that I really liked about medicine. And, um, you know, I love in surgery that I still get to do critical care that I get to do, you know, medical management of, you know, patients, other medical problems, you know, when I'm taking care of them in the hospital or out, out, in, out in the clinic, you know, we see patients where we take care of problems that are, you know, can be fixed and they come back, you know, once to, for their post-operative follow-up and, you know, we don't need to see them again. But then there's a lot of patients, you know, we do their lung cancer surveillance after we take out their lung cancer. There are patients with very complicated problems that we, you know, they come back and there's a lot of longitudinal follow-up. So I, I really, you know, for me, I really liked, and, you know, it's something along that process, you know, of doing surgical training that I really learned that I love the kind of wide breadth of care that we provide, you know, in the clinic on the, you know, in any given day, I can see somebody in clinic be, you know, around all my patients, both, you know, on the floor and in the ICU, see, you know, some consults, be in the OR with something that's elective or an emergency. Um, I, I really like, you know, and, that, and I understand that's not for everyone. That's what I really like about, you know, surgery as a whole is the opportunity to provide care in all those settings. Um, to a, you know, a, a defined set of problems, but yet um, you kind of cast a wide net all across a lot of diagnoses. Thanks. Yeah, I, I agree. Having medicine as part of your training is so important as a surgeon. Um, I would love to hear kind of going back from the beginning. Um, can you tell us a little bit, you know, about growing up and then coming to college and now, and then medical school for Jefferson? Yeah, sure thing. So actually I'm from around this area. So I remember as a kid going to Phillies games in the vet, um, going, you know, I'm from Delaware originally. So, you know, Philly was, you know, part of home. And then, you know, I went away for a while uh, when I went to college, 
came back from medical school and then, you know, I remember saying when I, when I moved back from college to, to come to Philly, I was like, I'll probably, probably won't go back to the Midwest. It's cold. The winters are cold. And who knew I'd be back for almost a decade in the Midwest. Um, you know, I think my time at Jefferson, I, I have, I met, a, I had a, a lot of friends that I met and um, I still keep in touch with on, you know, a regular basis. I've talked to several of them even in the past week. Um, I used to live in, there was um, three of us that lived together that had in part, we were actually in uh, Barringer on the 10th floor, right at that, right at the, uh, the one that's right on the corner was our apartment right overlooking the, uh, the 10th and Walnut intersection. Um, so I had a really good time when I was at Jefferson. I, you know, I learned a lot. Um, I got involved uh, with, you know, various student groups, particularly Jeff Hope. And, um, you know, I thought that was really, you know, it's a really great community of people that you don't, you know, you, it's hard to appreciate until you go somewhere else and see how it's different and makes you really appreciate how, how, you know, great things are. Um, and likewise, you know, I went away for about I did nine years and two months of training out, out in Ann Arbor. So, um, you know, I had, you know, it, it which is a fantastic place. Um, uh, so, you know, I've kind of seen another place and I'm, I'm lucky to be back here. Counting the months of time you spent in the Midwest, my goodness. <laughs> oh, no. tell, tell me about it. I didn't realize until now that you were a uh, clinical skills director of Given, too. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yep. <laughs> I had a role in the Given Surgical Society. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, your training at University of Michigan, too, and how that was uh, split up. So you know, I think when I was looking at programs, I was very much interested in academics. Um, I knew I wanted to do academics. I knew I wanted, to, I wanted to do, you know, have a teaching, you know, I wanted to be fellowship trained and I wanted to have a research um, component of my, uh, you know, my future career. Um, so I was lucky, you know, when I was looking at programs, you know, I, I, re I remember going on my interview there and I was like, this is the place, like, you know, I, I really, really, really like this place. Um, and I was lucky to match there. And, you know, I did the kind of traditional path to CT surgery. So I did seven years of general surgery. I took off two years during that. Um, so it's a, you know, general surgery, you need to do five years of training. I, I did two years of research in health services research uh, during my time there between my, after my third clinical year, um, that's when we take off our, our research time and you have two more clinical years coming back. So after that, I got uh, board certified uh, in a general surgery, and then went on, did my CT fellowship at, um, at Michigan um, with a focus on uh, thoracic surgery. We're trained in both. We do cardiac and thoracic, but when you come out, out of training and you go into academics, you primarily focus on, um, on uh, exactly, you know, one or the other. Um, and kind of my focus that, you know, I, I learned to love during training was, you know, kind of a broad um, uh, practice in thoracic surgery was, you know, benign, for, you know, benign and malignant esophageal disease, the standard surgical ecology of the chest, which encompasses esophageal cancer, you know, anterior mediastinal masses, uh, chest wall masses, lung cancer, and then um, end-stage lung disease. Um, I think the most important thing during training, you know, there's, you know, it, while it seems long, it goes by really quick. I will tell you the time between leaving Jefferson and coming back to Jefferson seems like it was really short. The training time um, uh, seems like it's, you know, it seems like a long time, but it goes by really quick. And I remember the first thing when I showed up at my orientation, um, the first day at, at Michigan, I remember the chairman then, Dr. Mulholland, uh, you know, he was the first person to kind of talk to us and he's, he said, you know, this is going to be, you know, the best time of your life, these next seven years. And I'm like looking at, you know, the other people that are sitting around me who are going to be my, you know, cove residents that I didn't really know that well yet. And um, I was like, he's crazy. He's absolutely nuts. You know, we're going to work a lot. You know, we're going to be tired. But I will tell you, I would never give back any of those, any of that time. We had a, 
you know, we worked hard, but we had a great time doing it. You know, sometimes you're up late and everything, but, um, you know, we had a great time doing it. We are, you know, friend, you know, my co-residents are some of my best friends. You know, we've, uh, you know, with all the time we spent in the hospital together, we spent plenty of time outside the hospital together in each other's, you know, you know, in weddings and you name it. Um, it is a great time. And, um, you know, I very much enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, at the end of all that, I was lucky to come back here for a faculty position. And I've now been back here for just over a year. That's awesome. I, I actually spoke with a resident at University of Michigan. He said that you were known as the mayor of the CVICU over at Michigan. I spent right? a lot of time in the CVICU <laughs> over the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so obviously it sounds like you've done an amazing job and you're here now back. Um, I would love for you to bring yourself back into our students' shoes, um, and kind of tell us about you, how you were, how you felt in your experience during third year for your surgery clerkship. I remember getting my, I remember sitting in the Scott library and getting my email that told me what or look at my schedule when they first came out. And I remember looking at it and I was like, oh my God, I have surgery first. So I was like kind of, you know, that was my first third, third year clerkship. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, is this going to be okay? <laughs> so it was, it, 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 you know, it, it was great. Um, you know, I think starting out third year, there's a lot of things that you realize, like, there's a lot of things I liked and, there's a lot of things to take away from every single rotation you do. There's things that you're going to see in your medicine rotation that are directly applicable to why you're to whatever you're going to do in the future, that that may be the last time you learn about that. So there is every single thing, you know, I've thought about this every day, every single thing is a learning opportunity. And you don't realize that until you're, you get further along in training and you're like, Oh, I wish I paid more attention or, or I wish I learned that. Or even when you're an intern in the middle of the night, you know, a lot of the things that you learn, you know, or you wish you paid more attention to about, you know, cardiology or whatever, uh, during your rotate, your, your med school rotations are, are very applicable. Um, I remember liking a bunch of different things. I remember I had a good time. I, I really liked my, my psychiatry rotation at Einstein. I had a great time when I was on internal medicine. I remember doing hepat uh, hepatology as part of my internal medicine rotation. Uh, I remember being up at Einstein for one of the portions of my internal medicine rotation. I remember liking a lot of other things, but I remember, you know, part of this, there's no like set of check boxes or anything like that in terms of figuring out what you want to do. You know, there are, we need people to go into everything. You know, there's, you know, everything from primary care to general surgery to, uh, you know, different, specialties of internal medicine, there's lots of things that, you know, we need people to go into. You just got to find something that you enjoy because, you know, this is a hard job. And if you don't love it, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to go through that every day. Um, I absolutely love what I do and, you know, I'm motivated to come to work. I, you know, I completely love it. And your most important thing is, you know, to find something that you, you really love to do. And it's kind of like, you know, the way you do it, you know, when you're going on all these, you know, you're doing all these rotations is, you know, like I said, it's not like a checkbox or anything like that. It's, you just kind of, kind of find your people, you know, it's kind of where you feel like you fit, you like the, you know, the, the atmosphere, the, you know, the lifestyle, the people around you, the, how the day moves, you know, the predictability or unpredictability of that particular specialty. It's all those things in the field that it, you know, it kind of gives you to kind of make that decision. And that's how I feel like I found surgery. And likewise, I went through that same process when I was a general surgery resident, finding that I, that I really like thoracic surgery. So it's, it's like you, all, you go through that same process all over again on a much more granular uh, level, finding the specific you know, subspecialty you like. Yeah, I think I would, I, you know, I also struggled with the fact that I really enjoyed everything, um, but um, had a kind of special attachment to surgery and the people in surgery. I think, you know, obviously the first and second years aren't totally on their way to deciding exactly what they want to do for specialties, but if there, is there any advice that you could give, um, especially for those people that are, you know, love everything or 
you have no idea what they'll actually love. Um, Cause it does feel different when you're a medical student and then and there are any tips to kind of see the reality of those specialties. I think, you know, number one is it's totally okay. It's okay to be in that situation and you got to make sure you don't get anxious or get stressed out about that. It's okay to not know what you want to do. I think, you know, if you're really struggling and you're not sure, I think, you know, one of the, somebody told me, I remember in medical school is you know, the first thing you got to figure out is you're like spending time in the hospital, you know, a hospital based practice or in the clinic, you know, if you can answer that for yourself, that, that eliminates some things, you know, I'm more of a hospital person. I spend most of what I do is hospital based. I have a half a day, you know, essentially a half a day, a clinic a week. Um, whereas primary care is very different than that. So I think you need to find, you know, determine that. And then you can ask yourself also is, is you know, you know, if I'm, you know, a hospital person or an outpatient person, am I something that wants to be more procedural based or, you know, less procedural based? Um, and that's one of the other things that can help you kind of differentiate um, what you may want to do. Great. Thank you so much. Any, um, any other, you know, mentors that you were pointed towards that helped you along the way? Yeah, for sure. That's one of the big things. So that's a good point you bring up is mentorship. And I think one of the, one of the, um, uh, you know, that was a, you know, a big thing in my decision-making along the way. I remember, um, you know, along this process, you will meet lots of mentors and there'll be, and there'll be, you know, particular people that are, or mentors that are kind of with you along the entire way. And, um, I remember when I was at Jefferson, you know, I was kind of interested in surgery. I was like, you know, I'm interested in a bunch of things, you know. So I, I remember sitting down with somebody named Gene Kennedy, who was one of Dr. Yo's partners. He was like, he was a younger guy. He was, he was, he was fantastic. Just a great, great person to kind of sit and talk to. And he was kind of the person that, you know, sat and talked to me about, you know, surgery and kind of what he, you know, what, you know, his background was and why he liked it. And I remember he got, um, you know, he was a good person to, that ultimately I kind of talked to through the, you know, all through, you know, the time I was kind of thinking about surgery and all the way up until when I left Jefferson. And I remember when I got to, when I got to Michigan, um, you know, I, you know, when, when you, when you show up as an intern, it's like drinking, you, you know, you're just trying to like find out where to go, how to get to the hospital, you know, without using, you know, you know, you know, without getting too complicated and like what to do and all this. And I remember, you know, after the first six months, you have your, you know, your mid evaluation meeting with your program director. So I remember sitting down with Dr. Darty, and he's like, well, what are you interested in? And I was like, no, there's a bunch of things. I like transplant. I like endocrine surgery. I like thoracic. And he's like, I, th I think you should sit down with this, this one surgeon we have here. And I remember sitting down with Jules Lynn and, um, he was, he was a fantastic person. He was a thoracic surgeon at Michigan. And he was about a year into practice at that point. And he was amongst the many mentors that I had. He was, you know, somebody that I would go talk to all the time. And I still talk to on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, I asked him, you know, bounce something off him, you know, about a complicated case. If I, you know, want another opinion and, you know, just somebody to talk to um, and really kind of help form my, um, you know, why, when I was kind of vetting, was I interested in thoracic surgery? He kind of, you know, helped me make that decision. And kind of interesting thing was, you know, as I was coming to the end of the process in the last couple of months of my fellowship, and, you know, I interviewed for a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different jobs. And I was, you know, kind of deciding between a couple of different places where it's going to go. I remember talking to, going back to, uh, Gene Kennedy and talking to him and saying, Hey, you know, that I'm thinking one of the job options is coming back to Jefferson. You know, what do you think? And I remember it was kind of like going, coming full circle. to you know, the person who you originally talked to at the end of your first year talking about, yeah, I might be interested in surgery to being that same person that you were like, Hey, you know, um, I'm actually, you know, coming back to, you know, consider a job at yeah. Jefferson. So it's uh, it, it was kind of, you know, mentorship along the full spectrum um and i think that's one of the important things you know when you're kind of going through this process making sure you have good mentors because 
you know, they'll be the people that help you decide and make decisions and really talk to, um, and, you know, in different stages during your career. And likewise, I have great mentors here, you know, my, my partners here are fantastic and they've really helped me in my transition to the faculty role. Fantastic. I can't imagine when I'll be a real surgeon. That's exciting. <laughs> It'll come quick. Trust me. It comes quicker than what you think. That's awesome. Thanks, Dr. Granite. We're going to um, move on to, we got it up. Oh, we found a little blast from the past here from oh, wow. the Jefferson yearbook class of uh, 2010. And then also want to give a shout out, same year, uh, Sherry, um, our clerkship coordinator who helps us out so much. So we have a cross. lot of dirt on all of you guys now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's an old, I haven't seen that picture in a while. And then now we wanted to um, do a little surgery trivia. I wanted to tie it into uh, the thoracic block, which the first years are on right now. And um, so this is a book, Surgical Recall, when you're third year, you'll probably use it uh, by Dr. Blackburn. And it has a lot of what you would say high yield information about surgery cases. So, you know, before you're going into a case, um, you can uh, read up on this and has a lot of good things. So we were pulling um, a trivia question from this book and uh, we wanted to tie it in with anatomy. And for the first person, we're gonna ask in order to answer it, that you type your answer into the chat. And the first person to answer correctly, uh, Emily's gonna monitor the chat and they'll get a uh, $15 Amazon gift card. You can use that to get whatever you want. Uh, we're gonna suggest that you get like a nice suture kit, um, <laughs> practice suturing, but you know, you can use that for whatever. Um, so we'll get, we'll get started with the trivia question. So the question is, what does the thoracic duct empty into? All right. Oh, we have one answer. Is anybody else going to try? Uh, looks like uh, Brandon Kreischer. Let's run it through, Bobby. Show him the answer. Yeah, so our answer, it's the left subclavian vein, uh, right at the uh, left internal <laughs> jugular. Yeah, nice, good job. Um, and so here's a picture. So you can see the thoracic duct coming up here and then yeah, right here, that left subclavian vein right at the uh, junction with the left IJ. So um, Brandon, we'll get your uh, information and then we'll send that along to Amrita who's gonna handle that. If you actually don't mind just, um, either, you know, sending me or Emily a, a direct message and we'll take care of that. All right. What do you think, Dr. Grenda? Would you pimp somebody on this question? Yeah, no, that's the classic anatomy. The one thing about the thoracic duct that I've learned over the years is the, the, um, the anatomy is high, can be highly variable up to 50% of the time. Um, in terms of the course, uh, sometimes you can have a double duct, um, and, uh, largely you learn this through having patients with Kyle aches and um, trying to understand where they're, where this is leaking from and uh, the best way to approach it. If they're, if they're trying to get an, um, an embolization. Um, so yeah, this is the classic way. This is the way that I always think about it. Um, it's a particularly important if you're doing, if you're up here around that junction of the uh, IJ and the left subclavian vein, um, you know, like if you're doing an, um, a pancose tumor, uh, that usually can be involving the, that area along the first rib. Um, you have to be very careful and be suspicious of all. I, I know in, if I'm, you know, doing one of those cases, one of the things I'm going to do is sit at the end and watch for a couple of minutes and see if there's any white stuff pulling anywhere, because you can definitely wind up with a Kyle leak. But, um, yeah, this is this is the way that I would describe the thoracic duct. But you always got to remember it can be it can be highly variable anatomy. All right, so I think moving forward now we're going to let um, Dr. Grenda share his screen and walk us through a surgery, so you guys finally get a chance to see some real patients. Perfect. Is this? Can everybody see the video now? I can see it. Looks okay. Good. So. Well, I thought this was a, a good case. So, you know, the majority of our, you know, for our kind of straightforward lung cancer resections, we do them minimally invasive. This is a video we kind of put together as a little, you know, 
compilation of a case broken down. We did this robotic. And, you know, one of the ways that we, you know, we do this, you know, the standard of care for a lung cancer resection is anatomic lung resection, meaning you're taking the artery supplying that, that anatomic portion of the lung, the vein draining it, and the bronchus going to it. Because we know that lung cancer typically spreads along the lymph lymphatic chains and towards the mediastinum, and we make sure we capture all those lymph nodes. Uh, we also do a mediastinal lymph node dissection during any lung cancer case um, as a kind of staging, and you know it's a little it's a little debatable on the um, utility from a uh, you know therapeutic standpoint. But this is you know for patients we have data that shows that for patients with you know early stage lung cancer, so that's the lung cancer that we you know most of what we operate on. But it's only you know when you think about lung cancer as a whole, that's only about fifteen to 20% of all lung cancer, most lung cancers, late stage disease, which is why, you know, lung cancer has the highest cancer related mortality of any other cancer. It's very prevalent and it largely presents at later stages. But for early stage lung cancer, for tumors that are um, less, less than two centimeters, we have good data that shows that segmentectomy may be a, um, a, a good way of resecting them if it's anatomically feasible. So rather than taking a full, you know, lobe, we sometimes can take a, a segment. They're a little more technically challenging because, you know, as you know, like within, within each lobe, if you think about the lobes, you know, we think about three segments in the right upper lobe, two segments in the middle lobe, you know, five segments in the right lower lobe, uh, four in the left upper lobe and four in the left, uh, in the left lower lobe, although some people debate a few about that. Um, but we, we can do segmentectomies, and this is a video kind of showing that. So now I'm just kind of mark, we're marking out the ports here. Um, this is this part is, I think, completely shot on iPhone. Um, so that's why it looks the way it does. Those are the robotic ports. So we put them in, and then we dock the robot. So this is, um, it's sped up a little bit. So we're mobilizing the inferior pulmonary ligament. So as you know, where the lung is really tethered, you know, if we look over here, this is the descending thoracic aorta. This is the, this is the pericardium with the heart. So this will be the LV over here. We're mobilizing this, you know, this is inferior, this is superior, moving that, mobilizing this up to the left inferior pulmonary vein. In there, we know that there's lymph nodes that sit around. We know we're, when we're doing a lymph node dissection where all the different stations are. So your station nine lymph nodes will kind of be in this area, the nine L's. So we're just kind of mobilizing this up. There's some lymph node right there. The lymph nodes are typically have that blackish blue color. So right now we have the lung kind of flipped, the left lung flipped anterior. So that this is anterior, this is posterior. Again, you see the descending thoracic aorta right here. The spine will be right back here. Um, and we're opening that posterior metastinal pleura to get some of the station seven lymph nodes and the opening that posterior mesenteral pleura will aid in our dissection. The station seven lymph nodes are the ones that sit in the right, right in the subcarinal area. So kind of opening up that area. The esophagus will also sit a little deeper back here. Um, it's primarily kind of on the right side um, or in the right chest, you know, kind of mid esophagus. So you can see a little lymph node right there. So we're coming up a little higher. As you can see up here, that's, that's that's the distal arch. So this is the distal arch after subclaving comes off, transitioning to the descending thoracic aorta. So this is where those nodes are. There's always some little bronchial arteries back here, um, which can bleed a little bit. And when we do this, we're doing kind of doing this deep dissection to get those lymph nodes up and off that subcranial area. We use them, we put them in glove tips typically to, with ease to get them out. So put the lymph nodes in the glove tips and take them out through one of the ports. We also, we put these little cigar rolls in there to, to use to kind of sponge up, you know, the couple cc's of blood. So this is dis, dis, you know, distal aortic, aortic arch transitioning to the, the descending thoracic aorta. So you're kind of, the arch kind of goes from kind of anterior to posterior. And if you see way back here, that's the subclavian coming off. So now we've kind of transitioned anterior. So we're in the anterior hilum. So, oh, oops, there we go. So this is anterior hilum here. So right here is the phrenic nerve. 
This is the superior pulmonary vein, which will just open up the anterior metacentral pleura. That anterior metacentral pleura is just that lining that sits right over that, the real thin stuff. Remember, you got your parietal pleura, which sits kind of on the chest wall, and then the visceral pleura is the stuff that sits on the viscera, you know, the actual organs. So we're getting around the, you know, when we're thinking about doing a segmentectomy, we're not taking, you know, the upper lobe, the left upper lobe pulmonary vein has branches to the apical segment, so the the apical anterior um, and the apical posterior segments. And then there's the lingular segment. So right here, this is all gonna be what we go into apical um, kind of anterior and posterior segments. And this one will be going to the lingula. So we're gonna protect that. Um, and it's important to identify that during your dissection uh, to make sure that you preserve it. Because if you take the, you know, if you take a, a small pulmonary artery branch it's essentially like giving somebody a sub-segmental PE. If you take the vein, that's a problem because the vein, the, that portion of the lung will get congested and will, will eventually die because of the venous congestion. So uh, you have to be very careful in making sure that you understand the, the pulmonary venous anatomy. Um, so this is us doing that dissection here, getting around that vein. You have to be very careful around the, the vessels. So we use these fancy staplers that go around. So it's got three rows of staplers. We use, this is a vascular stapler, white load. So then we divided that. So now we're gonna, right behind the pulmonary artery, or I mean the pulmonary vein is the pulmonary artery. So right here, if you can kind of think, so we see the, air, the distal aortic arch, so subclavian's gonna be coming off back here. Right around here, sometimes you'll see in patients that are, you know, real skinny that have real visible anatomy, you will see a little white thing kind of tracking down, coming right over the aortic arch and tucking back behind there to make its course back towards the TE groove. And that's the um, recurrent laryngeal nerve on the left side. Can't really see it here very well, but so we're coming down into the pulmonary artery. Pulmonary artery is really thin. Um, when you do a lung transplant, you, and you're sewing it together, you realize how thin it is. It's like sewing wet tissue paper to wet tissue paper. You have to be extremely delicate with the pulmonary artery. So these are nodes. So there's nodes always kind of living along the, between the PA and the bronchus. And sometimes you need to get them out in order to free up some of that space to do the dissection. And we, and we send these off as part of you know, our lymph node dissection, um, which is an important part of our of the, you know, the cancer operation to make sure we fully understand that they don't have any micrometastatic disease that would require adjuvant chemotherapy. So as you say, we're getting around, you know, the apical branches to the left upper lobe are all gonna be up here. Typically the lingular branches are kind of down in the little more accessible in the fissure. So we're just getting around this very carefully. Yep, doing a little spread, then getting the stapler around it. The left upper lobe has the most, as opposed to the rest of the, um, you know, the pulmonary anatomy, the left upper lobe has the most variable arterial anatomy. There can be, you know, like, I think I've taken like seven left upper lobe branches one time, or there can be like three. So highly variable in the left upper lobe. So here's another branch. All these ones, the left upper lobe are always small. So you have to be really delicate with them. The aorta is sitting right behind you. And again, this getting around that. So we did fight at that. So next, after that, we got the bronchus. So we're taking the vein, we're taking the artery, and now we're gonna do the bronchus. So the bronchus, the left upper lobe, you know, at, you have your carina where it splits in the left and right. Then you're, as you come into the left main stem, the left main stem is, much longer than the right main stem. Then once you get to, it'll split to upper lobe and then lower lobes. So once you're at the left upper lobe takeoff, there'll be another, you know, a tertiary carina, which is the left upper lobe apical segments and then the lingular segments. So you'll see this is the lingular segment. This is the apical segments. And for this, you know, we're doing a, essentially what we call a tri-segmentectomy, taking the, the upper lobe, um, segments or the upper lobe apical segments. So that's where we're gonna get around this. You can see the rings there, the cartilaginous portion here, and then the membranous portion is back here. So we're just getting around that. 
the tissue around the bronchus is always a little thicker than what's around the vessels. So doing the dissection, trying to get around it. So you just got to take your time. This is an, all these things are an exercise in patience. Um, you know, you need to be patient with yourself, make sure you're doing things right. And the interesting thing with this is the robot doesn't give you any haptic feedback, meaning you can't feel. It's all visual haptics, meaning you're gauging what you're, how much tension you're putting on the tissue based on what you see the tissue doing. So all this is visual haptics. And it's like super high def though, right? The yeah, it's 3D because yeah. you have two independent eyes. So you see it in 3D. So you can see true depth. So you have depth perception, which definitely helps as opposed to the typical like kind of 2D when you think about like, you know, uh, laparoscopic surgery or just traditional bath surgery. So this is definitely a technology that has some, you know, significant, you know, advantages um, in terms of letting us see things a little better. So here, just showing the lingual branches. Okay. So that's, this is kind of coming further out along there to get ready to take it. Just trying to get around those two bronch. Getting around there. Okay, so next we're gonna take these, the apical segments. And you can see the, the lingular vein is down there just below where our stapler is. So we take those, make sure we don't have any more. Looks like we get another arterial branch here, which is, you know, with the left upper lobe is not uncharacteristic there can be a lot of arterial branches and they're all small so you just got to take your time and be gentle like I said here here's the aorta I think what was um, most mind-blowing to me when I first started seeing surgeries in the thoracic cavity and then esophageal um, surgeries was just the you know, sheer fact that you're watching everything move while you're operating. Um, and just being able to see the heart and the lungs moving yeah. beside you, besides the fact that you're in there doing stuff and it just kind of an awe moment. Yeah, you kind of get used to that, that motion that it's almost like, you know, the rocking, you know, rocking of a boat. Um, you know, you just kind of stay steady. Here we've kind of transitioned. This is that where we're dividing those pulmonary artery branches. We're just following the PA around, kind of more posterior, right along the, just above the apex. So here's the, the PA coming off after it gives off those branches. So next thing is, you know, how do we know where to divide it? We're taking the lung as a segment. You know, the parenchyma doesn't have like little divisions on it. So you, we use this ICG green technology called Firefly, which we give we have anesthesia give some ICG green dye and through the IV. And then it has this filter on the camera that can tell us where the ICG green dye is. So if we've taken the vessels and the drainage to that particular segment, everything else should light up, but that shouldn't. So that can help us mark where a parenchymal transection is so we can do that. So you can see here, you know, you see this is the lingula lighting up. This dark line up here is the apical segments. So that allows us, as you can see, to start taking it with the stapler to really make sure we're truly doing, you know, we've taken it where the, the vasculature has really demarc demarcated that. Like magic. That's something like, it's simpler than that though. But yeah, no, it seems like the first time I saw that, I was like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> so we're just trying to get all our stumps up to make sure we really get the true Parenchyma transaction, and this is this is the lung coming back up at the end after we do it. So that is it. 
Fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, we would love to, yeah, I would love to encourage people to ask any questions in the chat or in person if you want to turn um, your sound on. You're welcome to. Um, Share my screen here as you guys type questions in the chat. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Grant. That was um, really cool to see. And Hopefully it made sense. Technology. I remember being like a, a junior general surgery resident and going to like, you know, getting to go to a thoracic case and, you know, cause you're like on your side, you know, the patient's on their side. It doesn't all make sense, but just the basic anatomy. Um, once you learn that um, it, it just provides landmarks in general, kind of where, you know, where everything is. And if you can identify your general landmarks, you kind of can, you know, figure out where everything is. And the anatomy is really important. I mean, I'm, highly dependent on that basic anatomy that I learned when I was in medical school every single day when I do a, a lung resection. Nice to hear that everybody. So when you go back and you're um, reviewing, you know, the pulmonary anatomy for uh, your block exam, just know that it, you know, it doesn't stop there. You'll be using it um, even as a thoracic surgeon, uh, Dr. Grenda is using it for lung resections. So just want to say thanks again to um, Dr. Grennan for coming out. Thanks for everybody who helped. Um, Emily and I really appreciate it. We hope that you guys got a lot out of it. We'll be recording. We recorded the session. We're going to post it on the Gibbon Society website um, for every to, everybody to watch there. If you join late and you want to watch the beginning, um, feel free. We know people have to run to CSSG, so we're going to um, wrap things up here. Um, and then also congrats to our uh, surgery tr trivia winner and it was, it was a great time. Emily? Till next time. I'm so excited. Thank you guys for coming on. Um, we hope that this will be, you know, continuing on and we'll give you guys some insight into our surgery department and how cool surgery is. So enjoy the rest of your afternoon, everybody. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you, awesome. Dr. Renda. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you guys. This is fantastic. Episode two coming up.